Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studios, as usual, is my good friend and compatriot, uh, the man who wrote the violin section for Virus of Life by Slipknot, <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, brother? I am well, thank you. Uh, I have to say, I don't know that I have ever heard a single Slipknot song. I assume this is <laughs> a band of some sort. Yeah, they're... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 a little bit out there. Uh, they wear these masks, uh, these weird devilish kind of masks and stuff like that. And uh, I, I would never go see them in concert. And, uh, obviously, this was a joke. But um, <laughs> now, do you but, listen uh, to Slipknot though? I, well, well, I'm working out, you know, because oh, sure. I'm a guitar player, right? So I do appreciate, um, especially when you're working out, you your body's telling you to stop, and you got to keep going, and right, you, know, you got to get that motivation to keep you know, uh, going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, during the workout, then the slip not helps that driving rhythm kind of, uh, yeah, uh, that, that yeah. stuff. I'm always amazed. So I don't know if you knew this about me, Deacon, but I'm not much of an exerciser. I mean, I watch, you know, videos like it from the locker room of the, the football team, you know, everybody getting pumped up and the music is really, really loud and, and driving and, and to me, it just seems like I would get a headache if I was listening to that stuff all the time. <laughs> I, I guess it's all, yeah. all a mentality, huh? Yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of different things. And uh, but like I said, I would never go to a Slipknot, <laughs> Slipknot concert, concert or endorse them or anything like that. Uh, for <laughs> parents out there, if you ever see one of their videos, you're like, what the heck is going on yeah, here? That, that, it was like something out of the Hellraiser series. Oh, my. You okay. Those movies? Yeah, sure, like sure, that. sure. <laughs> With Pinhead. Right. Well, right. there's a character that has pins going out of his head and Slipknot. So, oh, okay. Uh, well, there so you that's go. what I'm saying. I, I just uh, the music for working out. That's really it. Right. Sure, <laughs> Other than sure. that, you know. Uh, my my. So how, of, how are things going with you, my friend? Well, uh, things are good, thank you. I uh, we're obviously we're well into the year now, and um, we're kind of back into the swing of the academic semester, um, which includes, you know. It's really great. Last semester, we had our fall conference, which had awesome presentations and talks from legendary philosophers like uh, Alistair McIntyre uh, that continue to be talked about among among uh, kind of other philosophers, what, what he spoke about at our conference and things like that. So, you know, my job in media relations at the DeNicola Center is to kind of track those conversations and, and uh, provide links to people. And they're like, oh, gosh, I wish I'd seen that talk, you know. And so there I am on Twitter, you know, being, well, here's a link to to watch it on YouTube and things like that. So um, and that's sort of it's delightful work because it means that what we're doing is actually interesting to uh, to thinkers and to people around the world. And, you know, um, so that's an exciting part of my job. Uh, and um, and then we're students, you know, we're working with the students. We have more than 300 Soren fellows uh, in our in our uh, formation program, and what we do with our Soren fellows is we help provide um, 
extracurricular formation that helps them, you know, integrate both what they learn in the classroom with their lived vocational call. Uh, and that is in the full range of vocations, whether that be to family life or to religious life or uh, to the intellectual life. And, and uh, so we connect what they do in the classroom with, with what they're going to be doing as humans for the rest of their life. And it's a very, uh, obviously, because the DeNicola Center exists to share the richness of the Catholic moral and intellectual tradition, you know, we pray with our students. So we have a weekly mass that we offer and we have first Friday masses that we celebrate with our students. We can pray as a community together and, and build fellowship really in a way. And so, um, so that's really quite delightful, uh, just to, to have those as part of our, uh, weekly and regular existence, both in the office and, and, uh, with, you know, kind of in, in the community as well. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's so important. Connecting the, the, the head knowledge with the heart knowledge, you right. know, so you're not just learning about the faith, you're incorporating it into your everyday lived experience. Exactly. That's where the rubber hits the road. Yep. You know? Yep. And, and, you know, even, you know, thinking about, uh, priestly formation. I know the the bishops of the United States have a document on the program of priestly formation, and it includes in there not just, here's all the, you know, kind of theological topics that you need to study during your master's studies before ordination, but also there's a section in there on human formation, on on that integrative activity that, that you know, where you priests learn how to build exercise into their lives and how to build meditation and prayer that isn't just oriented at ministry, but it's also in their own life as Christian pilgrims as well. And so uh, in some ways that's, you know, we, we need to be thinking about that, not just for students, but also for all of us need to need to keep these things in mind. No, absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, Deacon, over the last few weeks, we've been discussing the bishop's document, The Mystery of the Eucharist in the Life of the Church, that was passed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in November of 2021. And this is a document that was really widely anticipated both for good and for ill by many people, because, you know, it was described originally as a document on Eucharistic coherence. And some people were worried that the bishops were going to use this in a political way or that that's what the goal of it was. But really, as you and I have been reading it together, what we have discovered and underscored is this is a document about the importance of the Eucharist to us as people of faith. This is not a document that is meant to condemn. It is an invitation to appreciate the great gift of the Eucharist that nourishes us and that provides us with an opportunity to be in true communion with Christ and with all of the members of the body of Christ, both living and those who have gone before us. And so we're picking up our conversation tonight in section two, which is our response to the gift of the Eucharist. And this particular section that we're in is entitled, Our Response is Thanksgiving and Worship. So it's part A of kind of a four-part breakdown of how we respond to the Eucharist. And uh, tonight we're picking up with paragraph 32. Uh, and in this case, it's about how Eucharist as worship and needs to be dignified and be worthy of the very fact that it is Christ himself who comes to us in the Eucharist. Yes, beautiful. And what I appreciate here, and this is Pope Francis now, all right? A quote from Pope Francis in paragraph 32 about our response. I ask you 
to be vigilant. I mean, this is him writing to bishops now. Right. I ask you to be vigilant in ensuring that every liturgy be celebrated with decorum and fidelity to the liturgical books promulgated after Vatican Council II without the eccentricities which can be which can degenerate into abuses hmm. and, and be faithful to the text and the rubrics established by the church. Wow. That is something to be highlighted right? and, and, and emphasized, you know, and again, why, what does this seem like on the surface? Here we go. We have to follow these rules and these regulations and see, that's what the church is about. You have to follow, but no, 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 no. Why, why does the church ask us? Uh, first of all, remember we talked about this last time. Jesus Christ himself tells us how he wants to be worshipped. Right. right. Do this and because in memory of me. Exactly. And because of worshiping God, you know, uh, Christ left the authority to the church to determine how that worship is to take place. So it's Holy Mother Church that gives us rules. So it does it like the uh, Holy Father says, all these eccentricities that can easily degenerate into abuses. And we've seen that over and over and oh, over yeah. again. I mean, how many videos out there on YouTube? <laughs> Showing just clown masses that's happening at mass and, <laughs> yeah. and and in myself traveling around, seeing certain abuses of t- priests taking liberties with the Eucharist and, and out of this false sense of of building community and things like that and, and inclusive language and, and stuff like that. It doesn't belong there at all. And the rubrics are there as uh, not just the rules to follow, but you have to understand why, because every action has meaning. Every word has power in the liturgy. And so what we, instead of whining about the rules, you have to understand why the rubrics are there and what that action means and what that means to us as people responding to Christ giving himself to us in the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, the very question, why do we do it, is kind of wrapped up in this paragraph too. The In doing so, say the bishops, they will lead the people more deeply and reverently into the exchange, which is the dialogue of the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. If you think about that, what we are doing when we attend Mass and when we do so, as we learned last week, consciously, fully, and actively, when we are present to what is taking place, we are deposited right into the inner life of the Trinity itself, this dialogue of the Father and the Son in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Mass is. Again, we talk about, you know, we step outside of time when we are at Mass because we are entering into the the heavenly liturgy, which is taking place. That is a dialogue. And we say, well, how can you say it's a dialogue? Even the very words of the Eucharistic prayer begin with addressing the Father, and they wrap up with, through him, Christ, with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Father, forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer that is directed by Christ to the Father in the Holy Spirit, and we are right there in the center of it. And that's why it's so important that the Holy Father calls us to, as he say, celebrate with decorum and fidelity, because what we are doing is an authentic action of the church. When we are doing it authentically, with decorum and fidelity, with attention to the very fact that this is Christ who is celebrating, and we are invited to be part of that. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, the priest stands in persona Christi right? In the person mm-hmm. of Christ. 
So that's why the priest says the words of Christ, the holy sacrifice of the mass. And, and we're not just spectators watching what's going on. You know, we're, no. we're, we, we talked about this, this octuosa participation, this deep, rich, inner participation. And one of the ways that partic- participation is shown um, is in the extraordinary form is the priest facing the same way as the people. Right. You know, right. we've talked about this in other yep. in other shows before. It's mm-hmm. not the priest turning his back on the people, as some people, you know, uh, would would say. He's actually facing the same way as the people leading, leading. the people in prayer and standing in for the person of Christ, praying to the Father for the sacrifice that He's making on our behalf. Yes, that's yes. what He's see. And that that's and that makes perfect sense. When the priest is addressing the people, he faces the people. When he's addressing the Father on behalf of the people, he's facing the same way as the people leading us in prayer. See, but but because we don't understand that theology, the way people receive that, oh, that's the old mass, or that, and then without understanding what these actions mean, when the priest holds his arms out, you know, which a deacon never does, by the way, uh, even mm. when the deacon is leading a service that's not mass, never, never does deacon ever open his arms. Why? That is the action of the priest as the shepherd gathering the flock together. The, oh, the wow. deacon is not a shepherd. Right. 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 So when he says, let us pray, and he opens his arms. Yes, he's got, just like, remember the um, the columns in at the Vatican? The um, Yeah, the colonnade of, of Bernini uh, at Bernini, St. Peter's Basilica. Bernini, it's the arms. St. Peter's Square. Opening yeah. and welcoming, right? Yep. That's the same act. And the priest, of course, Jesus' arms spread on the cross also. Right. It symbolizes that. But it's, but it's really mostly gathering the sheep gathering the people together around. and it's the priest that does that that's why the deacon never opens his arms when he's leading a prayer service even outside of mass never i don't know that i'd ever noticed that but of course you know yeah the invitation to pray let us pray i mean this is uh, an invitation in a way that's wow that's fascinating see and and and, and but people get upset well i, I want to do what the priest does i don't it's no you have to understand why the priest does that action why it's a priestly action you yeah. know why, why is he doing what he's offering the sacrifice and it's all little things like that like why does he do, do the elevation you know, like, behold the Lamb of God. Why is he elevated at that point? What's going on there? And <clears throat> what does any of that have to do with my life every day? Once we begin to understand the depth of what is going on and how that is symbolized in the actions of the Mass, the Mass just comes alive in a way um, that just draws you, as you said, Ken, more deeply into the mystery, into the relationship of intimacy with the Lord who's giving himself to us in that sacrament. Beautiful. Oh, man. Makes me want to go to Mass, which is <laughs> See, a good thing, that, right? That's it. Right? Exactly. This next paragraph uh, connects what we do at Mass with the the Eucharist itself and the importance of worshiping the Eucharist and adoring Christ in the Eucharist. Our gratitude, as the bishops say, is also expressed in our worship of the Blessed Sacrament outside of Mass. These forms of worship are all intrinsically related to the Eucharistic celebration. I know we've talked multiple times about uh, the beauty of Eucharistic adoration, this being our chance to spend time adoring the Lord who feeds us and who in, and who is calling us into a deeper relationship with himself. Um, the bishops, again, encouraging people to avail themselves of the opportunity for Eucharistic adoration. Um, They quote St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. They say, she reportedly once said, quote, when you look at the crucifix, you understand how much Jesus loved you then. 
when you look at the sacred host, you understand how much Jesus loves you now, end quote. That is such a beautiful quote. I don't know that I'd ever seen it before, uh, before this document, but that's really what and why we worship Christ in the Eucharist, because it is the ongoing way that we are brought to the foot of the cross, that we are experiencing the very sacrifice of Christ. And that's what, uh, what Eucharistic adoration provides us the opportunity to do that in a private, personal, you know, in a personal way. Uh, whereas Mass is that corporate experience that we all share together, this is our time to spend with Christ in the Eucharist alone. Yeah, and that's time well spent. Uh, you know, I, there's no other way to say it. I mean, Eucharistic adoration is transformative. In, in, in many cases, I've talked to many people where it's been life-changing. I know it has been for me, and that's not just, you know, waxing poetic. I mean, I, I it really, literally changed the course and direction of my life Wow. Uh, on two occasions. One, determining whether to get married or whether to go back to monastic life. That was a huge major decision, you know, and think about the implications of that decision right. in, in my life now and the things I'm doing now, as opposed to, you know, if I made the decision to go back, that was done in adoration and the decision to leave full-time secular employment to do my apostolate in ministry for a full time back in 2012. That was also, that decision was also made before our Lord in adoration, not just after one time in adoration. I mean, months right. of, of actually, the second time uh, when leaving my job, it took a year wow. of adoration to really. And I, when God was firmly saying to me in the depths of my being, this is what I need you to do. And I, and he said that early on, but I needed to find the courage to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Lord, I need a sign. Yeah. Okay. Lord, uh, how about another sign? Maybe, maybe a third. Yeah. But uh, especially yeah, those, those yeah. big decisions. But that's the thing is you go and you spend time in Eucharistic adoration where it's quiet where it's just you and the Lord, that's when you get a chance to listen and to truly discern, to, uh, I mean, to coin a phrase, to listen with the ear of your heart uh, to what Christ is, is saying to you. Yeah, that, that's so important. And I just would encourage people just to go and just, like as Ken said, just to, to listen. Don't worry about, do I'm supposed to do a prayers or rosaries or read the Bible? You, you could do those things, and those are wonderful things to do before adoration, but really all God wants is your heart. Just go there and say, Lord, I'm struggling right now. Lord, I, I, I'm trying to deal with this right now. Lord, I have this heaviness in my soul right now. Lord, just help me. That, that's all. And just, and just sit there and just be and allow God to penetrate the depths of your heart. Because what you do is you're, you're pouring yourself out. You're opening yourself. And that's exactly what God wants. Because once you empty yourself, now God can fill you. Right. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and that that's the beautiful thing about adoration. And how many times I've left there with a sense of of peace, knowing that something that God has asked me to do is difficult, but having the courage, knowing, okay, God is going to be with me. I'm confident. I'm scared, but but I, but I'm confident that the Lord is going to be with me. And I tell you, Ken, not once, not once has God ever failed or let me down in any way. Um, even during COVID, right? When, when it, my, everything literally for me just completely shut down, God was able to help us to make us make a, a financially and spiritually through that, that rough patch, through, through that difficult period. Wow. And I think our family's stronger because of it, quite frankly. Wow. God is good all the time. As, all the time. All the time. 
God so, is good. <laughs> this next section is entitled Transformation in Christ. And uh, it's interesting. As we go forth here, we're going to see that transformation in Christ is primarily oriented outward in this, uh, in what the bishops are going to talk about here. This is how our reception of the Eucharist, which is a personal act, is meant to impel us outward to transform all of creation around us. Uh, and of course, we will come back to personal conversion. That'll be the next section. But this is outward oriented. So the bishops here write about in the celebration of the Mass, paragraph 34, we are shown what love truly is. And we receive grace that enables us to imitate the love that Christ shows us. So in receiving the Eucharist, we are transformed ourselves personally in order that we might do the actions that Christ did, which is to invite the world into relationship with Christ himself. Um, and St. John Paul II noted that the moral life of the Christian flows from and is nourished by that inexhaustible source of holiness and glorification of God that is found in the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. So that's kind of setting the stage for, for some of the specific ways that uh, the bishops are going to write about how we transform the world. Yeah, and I, I love, love, love this section of paragraph 35. It talks about uh, the Eucharist sustains us in personal and moral transformation. It says it can also reshape the life of our society as a whole. You know how many times we hear people complaining about what's going on in our culture and the moral uh, denigration and the, the, the relativism and all of that. But our faith in Jesus Christ and our devotion to the Eucharist can help to reshape the life of our society. Our relationship with Christ, the bishops continue, is not restricted to the private sphere. It is not for ourselves alone. The very solidarity or communion in Christ's self-giving love that makes the church and makes us members of the church orders us beyond the visible community of faith to all human beings. I love that. Yes. It's, our faith is not to be kept to ourselves. It is meant to be shared. The power of Christ's love, we're meant to witness to that and, and, and be witnesses to that to the entire world. And th that's one of the things I love about our faith. Absolutely. It's why at the end of Mass, which happens very quickly after we receive communion, we are sent forth, right? What are the words that the deacon says at the end of Mass, at the very end? Go. Ite misa est. Ite misa est. Go and... Oh, she is sent. Yeah. I mean, that's we're, we're sent out into the world to transform because we ourselves have received this great gift. We are sent to share that gift and therefore to transform what is around us. And in paragraph 36, the bishop speaks specifically to lay people, specifically to everybody in the pews who is sent forth to do something with what they have received. It is the role of the laity in particular to transform social relations in accord with the love of Christ. Lay people, conscious of their call to holiness by virtue of their baptismal vocation, have to act as leaven in the dough to build up a temporal city in keeping with God's project. And then they say, and here's where we begin to get into this language of coherence, Consistency between faith and life in the political, economic, and social realms requires formation of conscience, which translates into knowing the church's social doctrine. 
And this is now, this next sentence is kind of where uh, the bishops begin to, to point out that some people have specific responsibilities within this. Lay people who exercise some form of public authority have a special responsibility to form their consciences in accord with the church's faith and the moral law, and to serve the human family by upholding human life and dignity. So remember, at the top of the of the show here, I mentioned this document was anticipated because many people were like, oh, the bishops are finally going to call out politicians and all that. Yes, politicians have a specific responsibility, but so do all of us. We all have a responsibility to form our consciences in accordance with the teaching of the church, particularly in upholding human life and dignity. Those who have a responsibility in the political sphere, it's incumbent upon them to do so as well. Um, But all of us really need to have a life that is in accordance, live a life that is in accordance with the gift we have received of the Eucharist. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, they're not degrading, what I can't even speak. Denigrating? (laughs) Denigrating politicians. Uh, but they're saying, you know, they have to be remember that th- their job is to uphold the common good. Right. Not uh, agendas, not uh, specific constituents, not people who give them uh, lots of money, big donors. They're there for the, the good of all people. And the way to do that is uphold the dignity of human life. So if they're a, a Catholic politician, they have to form themselves in the life of the church. If they're not, they still have to uh, 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 conform to the natural moral law, again, which is exercised on behalf of the good of everyone. Amen. Amen to that. This call, of course, also extends to each and every one of us in uh, serving most especially those who are vulnerable and the poor. Uh, They quote St. John Chrysostom in paragraph 37, Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not ignore him when he is naked. Do not pay him homage in the temple clad in silk, only then to neglect him outside where he suffers cold and nakedness. He who said, this is my body, is the same one who said, you saw me hungry and you gave me no food. This is such a beautiful reflection by St. John Chrysostom, and we are called to do the same, to put our faith in Christ into action, in concrete actions of love for the other. And that's a Unfortunately, Deacon, where we're going to have to wrap up for tonight, but we're going to pick up this conversation again, exploring how we take the Eucharist that we have received, the great gift, and we transform the world around us. Uh, And we're going to pick that up when we do so and when we gather next week, if that's okay with you. No, that's perfectly fine. But until then, how can people stay in contact with us? You'll find us most actively on Facebook. We are at Living Stones Media. Just type that into your search bar. You get a link to the uh, th- this document itself. You can download all the previous episodes of the show at com. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing? Sure, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Mater Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. 
That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.